Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Before I start down the path here to talk about the president of Harvard, um, I first, I feel compelled to tell you why it matters. There's a lot of hullabaloo, if you will, uh, over the president of Harvard, her comments at that hearing um, last week regarding, uh, you know, calls for genocide against Jews on campus whether they violated uh, the, the code of conduct for bullying or harassment in an exchange with Congresswoman Elise Devanik. Why does it matter? It matters, in my view, for two reasons. Number one, Harvard is a credentialing service for the quote-unquote elites in America. Right? You go to Harvard... Doors open for you. You get plugged into a network that will set you on a course for success, for influence, right? I mean, even today, listening to Hunter Biden's uh, press statement that he gave out in front of the Capitol, what, what did he even mention there? He talked about how he's a graduate of Yale because that means something, right? It, it used to mean a lot more to a lot more people. Now I think it just means something to a smaller group of people, and I think there's a lot of other people, like me included, that when I hear that, I think, hmm, yikes. Right? It's becoming a scarlet letter for a lot of Americans. These elite, quote-unquote, Ivy League schools are churning out morons. And I don't know if I'm, I mean, they're just steeped in this... Uh, this Marxist ideology. Not every single graduate. I'm sure there are some that, you know, come out with a conservative viewpoint, but I would suspect they are few and far between, and they probably went into the college setting already leaning in that direction. But this is uh, the, the institutions of, quote, higher education have been promoting a particular uh, political philosophy for decades. So it matters this fight at Harvard matters because these are the people that end up running the government agencies. They run corporations at all levels, right? They're just all over the place in these major influence or major influential uh, uh, businesses and, and, uh, and institutions in our society. Here's an example. There's a guy named Jonathan Swain. And uh, he was the Harvard, he is, the Senior Executive Director of Media Relations and Communications at Harvard. Jonathan Swain. He was part of the Biden-Harris transition team. He was a one-time Hillary Clinton aide. Right. Harvard, remember when um, North Carolina Governor Bev Perdue, remember when she decided not to run for re-election? 
Pat McCrory then won. Do you remember what she went and did afterwards? Yeah, she got some cushy gig at Harvard. They created like some sort of post for her or some, you know, some center on governance or whatever. They create these little centers and they employ Democrats as basically shadow government in waiting. So when a Democrat takes over in the White House or something, then they've got a pool of people that they just suck up out of the uh, institutions who have been making, you know, six figures for years and years. And then they could just bring them back into government. And then in uh, the you know, in the event that the Democrat loses the White House, then they go back into academia. They go back into these colleges and universities. They land in these little centers. Remember John Edwards, right? That happened for him. He ended up at UNC Chapel Hill with some sort of center on, on poverty, pulling down six figures at that gig until he could run for vice president, right? I mean, this is par for the course. And taxpayer dollars support all of this. So that's why it matters for the uh, on the one hand. The other hand is that there is a there's a a DEI reckoning occurring. And that's why this fight at Harvard is a big deal and why it's gotten so much attention is that there's this DEI component. There's also sort of like well the the president of Harvard this uh Claudine Gay. That's her name. I was going to say Candace, but Claudine Gay is her name. And the allegation is that she was a DEI hire, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? She's the first black female president of Harvard ever, and it's like 300 whatever plus years, almost 400 years of existence. And so there's this racial component, but there's also a question of her qualifications, and it is not because of her race, Although that's what, you know, the race hustlers are now alleging. They're saying it's only because she's black that people are attacking her. No, it's because she has not churned out any kind of academic product. She's kind of like the Hunter Biden of uh, elite Ivy League college presidents, you know. Um, She hasn't turned out a lot of uh, academic research, peer-reviewed papers and the like. And those that she has now, we are learning, are rife with plagiarism. And Harvard is standing by her at a cost. Think about this. At a cost of about a billion dollars now. That's how much Harvard is fixing to lose from donors. Because of the way she has uh, not just answered the questions at the congressional uh, hearing, which, by the way, there's a component there, which isn't even like people say, oh, her answers weren't. Her answers were technically correct. That's not the point. The point is the double standard. Which is if if she were um, if she were to take the approach uh, that she has taken with the pro Palestinian pro Hamas people that are out there chanting "River to the Sea," uh, globalize the Intifada, right? These are calls for the elimination of Jews, and they're creating hostile places on campus. They are creating hostility, harassment, physical assaults and abuse, right? Safe spaces to use a term that colleges invented basically and literally then would create for all sorts of students except Jews. See, that's the problem. Jews have been a longtime uh, party to the coalition on the left. And so when the right was treated with a double standard and they were 
barred from appearing on campus. They were shouted down. The left didn't care very much. Now you've got a schism inside the left. And this is why I say there's a reckoning on this DEI stuff, because now you got people on the left that thought they were actually covered under that umbrella of protection. They thought they had a safe space. And now they're waking up to realize, no, no, you don't. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply. At CarolinaReadiness.com, whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at CarolinaReadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Email is Pete at the PeteCalendarShow.com. I do have some of your emails. I will get to them. So first, the double standard that has existed on college campuses for conservative speakers versus left-wing speakers has been obvious to all of us for years. And what now has become very evident is that Jewish people are not part of the, the uh, intersectional coalition any longer. The Palestinians have replaced the Jewish people. Dare I call it a replacement theory? I'm not going to call it that. You know, I'll talk about that unless you're a Democrat from like 10 years ago. But whatever. Point here. You've got the Harvard president talking about how we're free speech defenders, even though Harvard ranks dead last in the rankings for campus free speech. That was what she claimed at the congressional hearing. Shortly after that, not even shortly after, the day after, Harvard canceled an event on campus because one of the people who um, was going to speak at this event criticized her performance. That's the bastion of free speech that they're claiming to be and why they're not protecting Jewish kids from harassment and assault and abuse. Because, oh, you know, it's free speech and it's context specific. And if it escalates into conduct, like if actually people start committing genocide, then we'll do something. But no, it doesn't run afoul of our code of conduct. Harvard University also covered up a high-level investigation into whether its controversial president was a plagiarist and used an expensive law firm to threaten the New York Post over its investigation into the matter. The college announced Tuesday morning that it had investigated Claudine Gay over whether some of her academic work was plagiarized, and it cleared her of breaching the college's, quote, standards for research misconduct. Instead, it said that she would request four corrections in two publications in order to insert citations and quotation marks that were, quote, omitted. In other words, plagiarized. And so now she's going to go back and clean it up by by putting quotes around the stuff that she didn't quote and passed off as her own and didn't cite and so passed off as her own. These four 
basically were like 11% or sorry, four out of the 11. It's like, it's, it's like a third of her scholarly work, which is far below what regular professors are expected to churn out. She was barely turning anything out. The Post can disclose, though, the New York Post says Harvard spent weeks failing to come clean about gay, being under investigation, staying quiet, even when she was held in front of Congress for disastrous ter- uh, testimony on the Ivy League College and dealing with um, anti-Semitism on campus. Harvard only disclosed the investigation when the university's governing body, the Harvard Corporation, said that it unanimously stood behind her despite a firestorm of criticism for her testimony. Harvard's public statement on the allegations of plagiarism came a day after Christopher Rufo, conservative activist, had posted questions about the citations in her 1997 Ph.D. dissertation. She plagiarized in that. And that's what prompted Harvard Corporation to issue its statement, including, oh, yeah, we were looking into the whole plagiarism thing, and she's going to go back and uh, clean all that up. No, 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 don't worry. And we stand behind her 100%. Meanwhile, Liz McGill, white female, as opposed to Claudine Gay, black female, the white female, she resigned at University of Pennsylvania. She got pushed out. I mean, she's not going, she's not falling very far because they look out for their own, right? They they just gave her some gig as like a law professor or something. So she'll, she'll be fine. But she was forced out. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if the awfuls are figuring out that they're not actually included under the umbrella of intersectionality now too. The awfuls being the affluent white female liberals, right? Awfuls. How come she's out? The other two, and the other one, what's her, Corn uh, Bluth at MIT, who also testified, she still gets to keep her gig. White female, though. So, I don't know. Like, things, I'm not sure what to make of all of this. Maybe UPenn doesn't have a big of an endowment, which, by the way, are non-taxable. So we are supporting, the, the government is supporting, we are supporting these two tax breaks, this kind of uh, education at Harvard and these types of institutions. We are. Harvard only disclosed the investigation after Chris Rufo's tweets. The probe began in late October after Harvard, quote, became aware of the allegations against gay. 27 incidents in two academic papers published in two peer-reviewed journals over a six-year period and an article in an academic magazine in 1993. All right, 27 incidents in two papers and an article in one magazine. The Post brought the allegations to Harvard, where the executive director of media relations and communications, Jonathan Swain, said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll totally get back to you. And then you know what happened? The New York Post was sent a 15-page letter by Thomas Clare, a high-powered Virginia-based attorney with the law firm Clare Locke, who identified himself as defamation counsel for Harvard University and Claudine Gay. This is the bastion of free speech that we're supposed to believe 
they just really can't say that they uh, that they would clamp down on the calls for genocide against Jews because, you know, we're free speech absolutists here. Except, of course, when you ask questions about the plagiarizing of the president, then all of a sudden it's like drop the hammer on the reporters. Go after the fourth estate, right? Target the reporters and the newspaper that's investigating these allegations. Threaten them with defamation and libel and slander. Go after them for that. Get them to to quash the article. These are the true defenders of the First Amendment. This is why this story matters so much. Breaking news. According to Phil Magnus, who is uh, an economic and political historian who does data analysis and uh, all sorts of stuff, he's an author. Anyway, uh, he has discovered that uh, Harvard President Claudine Gay plagiarized material in yet another academic paper. This now makes five papers, which are, what, five out of the 11? That's half of her, quote, scholarly output. In her 2001 APSR paper, The Effect of Black Congressional Representation on Political Participation, she lifted verbatim language from Lawrence Bobo and Franklin Gilliam without using direct quotation marks, as required a clear violation of Harvard's own plagiarism standard. But it doesn't matter. I wonder if Harvard figured that out, too, while they were doing their investigation into the plagiarism accusations. And even when they found she did, she's going to get a chance to go back, clean it up, throw the citations on there, put the quotes in, no harm, no foul, even though anybody else would have probably been shown the door. And all of this was bubbling under the surface when she makes the appearance in front of Congress and positions herself as some sort of free speech defender. And that's why we can't possibly say that calling for the genocide of Jews would violate our code of conduct on bullying and harassment. The free speech zealot, Claudine Gay. Hotair.com, David Strom reports, Claudine Gay managed to keep her job despite costing Harvard's, uh, Harvard hundreds of millions in alumni donations and an incalculable amount of goodwill due to her embarrassing performance in front of Congress. She couldn't manage to condemn her students' calls for genocide of Jews and couldn't manage to write an academic paper without violating Harvard's standards. But she could still clamp down on speech she disapproved of. She did so days after asserting that Harvard was committed to protecting speech of even the most vile nature. If somebody got up and argued that the world would be better off if Israel did not exist, David Strom says, I would defend their right to say that. I would disagree, but people differ. That's the point. But what has been happening at Harvard has very little in common with what most of us consider to be actual discourse. Tantrums that include assault are not speech, but rather impermissible conduct. But in principle, Gay's defense of speech was defensible. But for the context. What is the context? The context is that Harvard doesn't actually protect speech. It protects its ideological allies and attacks those who challenge the approved narrative. And there is no more glaring example of this fact than the cancellation 
of a John Adams Society event that would have featured two congressmen, both of whom are Democrats. The event had been planned for weeks. Room was reserved. Event planners were working with Harvard police to ensure safety of the attendees. Everything was moving along, and then Harvard canceled it. Why? Because one of those Democrat congressmen criticized Claudine Gay. And so they pulled the plug, as free speech absolutists do. All right, so uh, David Strom, hotair.com, talking about an event that was scheduled to be held at Harvard by the John Adams Society. There's a, they're not affiliated with the college. It's a third party, but they were working with Harvard to bring in uh, Democratic representatives Jake Alshenkloss of Massachusetts and Ro Khanna of California. And they're both Democrats. They were both going to come and talk about China relations and the ramifications for American industrial policy. Right? Seems like a pretty benign kind of thing. You got two Democrats, or you're not even like bringing in some MAGA Republican or something like that. So they got this event scheduled. Room was confirmed. Event planners were uh, going over the, the the safety plan with the Harvard police. Um, everything was getting nailed down. Everything was nailed down. That Harvard was totally fine with all of it. And then, um, all of a sudden, something happened. And Harvard said, no, you can't have your event here. What changed? What happened between December 5th and December 7th? When all of a sudden... It changed when they were alerted. The John Adams Society was alerted. You can't have your event here. What changed? The president of Harvard testified before Congress on December 5th. Congressman Auschenkloss published a statement on December 6th, mocking her for her supposed commitment to free speech. Quote, Harvard ranks last out of 248 universities for support of free speech. But when it comes to to denouncing anti-Semitism, suddenly the university has anxieties about the First Amendment. It rings hollow. That's what the congressman said. And the next day, Harvard canceled the event. This is not a defense of free speech. They're defending anti-Semitism. That's what was laid bare. The president of Harvard wasn't defending free speech at her congressional testimony. She was defending anti-Semitism, and now everybody knows it. They are censorious in the extreme. Literally, Harvard and Penn have the two worst records for free speech among elite universities. This is the the FIRE, F-I-R-E, organization, their rankings of free speech. Harvard and Penn come in last among the Ivies. Noah Rothman, he wrote about this a couple days ago. He says, the smirking, morally obtuse, and logically deficient performance the presidents of some of America's most prestigious universities turned in at the House committee hearing has now taken its toll. University of Pennsylvania President Liz McGill and the chairman of the college's board of trustees forced out. The walls seem to be closing in on Harvard University President Claudine Gay, but her defenders in academia are mounting a counterattack, which so far seems successful. 
At least 570 members of the Harvard faculty signed their names to a petition branding the backlash as a thoughtless act of unenlightened aggression. They say uh, that they were they wrote uh, that they were obliged to resist political pressures that are at odds with Harvard's commitment to academic freedom. Tolerance for anti-Semitic activism on campus constitutes little more than deference to constitutionally protected speech. That's the argument. This is a retreat, though. It is a retreat to the rhetorical Mott. There it is again. Mott and Bailey. M-O-T-T-E. Mott and Bailey. It's a rhetorical tactic. It describes, think of castles, right? You got the castle in the center surrounded by a wall, farmland on the outside. The farmland on the outside is an easily defensible, or sorry, a, a difficult to defend position. Right? If you got hordes of army uh, armies attacking you, they're running across the uh, the Bailey out there on the or the Bailey is the tower. I never remember which it is. I guess the yeah, that's the Bailey. Right, the Bailey is the field because the rhetorical mot would be the the tower. You retreat back to the mot. I guess it sounds like moat. So with uh, so on the other side of the moat, you get back inside the walls of the castle. That's an easily defensible position. Like, I'm for free speech. And, oh, okay, well, yeah, so am I. That's easily defensible. But then you say stuff like, well, I don't know, calling for the genocide of Jews, that's totally fine. And that's less defensible. Like, wait, 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 wait a minute. You're allowed to advocate the murder of an entire group of people? Even though you don't allow people to use incorrect pronouns. That's the Bailey. So when the hordes come at you, attacking you, you can't defend it. You then retreat to, I'm just for the First Amendment. This wasn't a defense of the arguments proffered by the presidents during the testimony before Congress. The arguments raised by critics, Rothman writes, of how the Academy has responded in the aftermath of October 7th have little to do with free speech. Rather, the claim is that institutions of higher learning have rallied around conduct that does constitute harassment. This has always been the problem. And and this withdrawal to the realm of abstraction proves that the allegations were solid. Right? Otherwise, why would you be retreating from that initial position? Let me read a couple of uh, messages I've got. Uh, This is from Stan Uh, So speech at Harvard that calls for the genocide of an entire race of people is protected under the Constitution. But Donald Trump's speech on January 6th makes him guilty of an insurrection and unfit to be president, even though he never participated or encouraged the riotous nature of the events that day. Looks like even free speech is now doled out based on DEI. Jay says the reason Harvard's not bending to the uproar of uh, Miss Gay's statements and plagiarism is that they have billions in their endowment and don't need any more prominent donors. They just don't care. Um, uh, this is from John. What's the big deal, Pete? If the president of the United States can be a plagiarizer, uh, then why can't the president of Harvard? That's a fair point. Well, look, it did being being a plagiarist did cost Joe Biden the presidency once. I mean, it was 30 years ago. He had to drop out of the race. And everybody was like, wow, this guy's just a congenital liar about everything. And then somehow along the way, people forgot about all of that and elected him president. <laughs> I so, so I guess so. This is the thing. 
I guess President Gay just needs to step aside, just bow out now, and then wait like 20, 30 years, and she'll be right back. And nobody will care at that point. I think that's how I think that's how it goes. I don't know the amount uh, of the um, of the endowments that Harvard has, but I, I believe it's in the billions at this point. All tax free. <laughs>